Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. This is episode 130, done on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, 2022. <laughs> it's the day to do it. Mexicans, they conquered, they won the war. Not for a time. <laughs> <laughs> but they did. That's the important part. That's you know? true. <laughs> and when you're married Mexican, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's man. a good day for sure. Yeah. But anyway, welcome to the podcast. My name is Bo. I'm Peter. And we are going live on Facebook as we are, I think, where we are right now. And we also will put this podcast on our SoundCloud which host our podcasts, and uh, you can always check them out on uh, any podcast client that you have, iTunes. I use Podcast Attic all the time to listen to the programs. But uh, you can certainly check them out at your leisure and uh, enjoy these podcasts. These podcasts are about the Bible, love, lust, life, and uh, today we're going to have as our topic kind of uh, sex and politics, the politics of sex. And it's kind of a big topic, um, and it's a relevant topic today, right? And nowadays, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. So at the time of recording this podcast, there was a leak. There was an interesting leak of a Supreme Court decision in which Roe versus Wade could potentially be overturned. Now, according to the leak, the votes are in, meaning the justices have already decided to overturn Roe versus Wade, but until the decision is made, finalized which shouldn't happen another two months nothing is decided yet but because of that the topic of abortion uh and all that stuff is definitely on everyone's minds yeah yeah totally my my brain goes to sex being big business in many ways um but uh, i think of like big pharma you know a lot of things have uh, a part to play in abortion mm. Um, and so when I think of the politics of sex, I certainly think of, you know, the money that's made, um, you know, not a lot of money probably is made, I would imagine, um, uh, just on healthy babies and, you know, people just having a child at the hospital or, and going home and that's it. Um, but I would imagine, um, and maybe, maybe I mean, there's got to be money being made even in giving birth, of course. There's that. But it seems like, you know, big pharma does have a big role to play in kind of that abortion issue. Um, but, yeah, this thing was leaked uh, through Politico, um, and they broke this news story about the Supreme Court leak. Um And I like what this says. This is from Center for Arizona Policy. This is more of a right-wing think tank in Arizona. Um, But it says uh, this is the background of how the court typically operates. The court's hearing on Dobbs was Tuesday. And it's kind of neat. It goes through a little bit of, like, how things work. And, um, but... It, it makes it even more interesting of how it leaked, right? When you know how things usually work, then you're kind of like, huh, how did it leak? You know, why did it leak? The yeah, first time it's ever happened in U.S. history. <laughs> yeah, which is... It was really radical, yeah. Unprecedented, precedented for sure. So, um, yeah. So when you think about politics and sex, Peter, kind of what, what do you think of? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to political theory in the beginning. So all the way back to Aristotle and Plato to a certain extent, where you ask the question of what is distinct about man 
Aristotle said man is a political animal. And what he meant by that is the word polis from the Greek. It actually means communal, that we're one of the few creatures or species on the planet <coughs> that functions traditionally as a community. Now, some people would say, well, there are pack animals or herd animals, and that's true, absolutely. But packs and herds, they function not as succinctly as human beings. When we say politics, when we say communal laws, what we mean is that human beings necessarily put boundaries over their desires in order to live at harmony with one another. Now, that's very different, right? So when you go into a wolf pack or something like that, no one is binding their appetites. No one is binding their desires in order to live at harmony with the other members of the pack. They are just kind of living out whatever they want. That's how they function. They sleep whatever with whatever they want. They don't sleep with whatever they want. It is just simply might makes right. That is all that matters. That's how the animal kingdom is. That's how the animal kingdom is. Humanity is not that way. Humanity tries to create a system of justice so that the right thing can occur more often and the wrong thing can be penalized. Now, the question that all these great thinkers had to ask then is what is the most fundamental component to the political structure? Uh, some people argued that it was the individual, but many people argued against that. They said, no, it is not the individual. It is actually the family unit. The family unit is at core the most fundamental part of the political environment. And it, and it makes sense. You know, it makes sense that humanity is a political creature and it makes sense that the family would be the fundamental structure of the, politi uh, the political community. Why? Well, we serve a political God. <laughs> we serve a communal God. We do not serve a God who exists in one person. We serve a God who exists in three persons and has a community that exists within themselves. And beyond that, there is actually a structure to the Trinity. There is a role of the Father, there is a role of the Son, and there is a role of the Holy Spirit. And dare I say, there are rules, there are laws that govern the Godhead. Very interesting that God subjects himself, himself to particular laws and particular rules in order to govern his interactions within himself. So when God creates man, it makes sense that at the core, man would be only truly himself. Man would only truly be an individual once he discovers his role in the community first. So when Adam is created, God said it's not good that man is alone. So some people in America, they believe you could just kind of like look within yourself and find your authenticity that way. But even then, even this idea that you could just figure it out on your own, sex is just on everybody's mind. And it shows that we're driven to understand understand ourselves in a communal way we can't get away from it so because of that the government the political structure has always had to wrestle with this idea of if the family unit is at the core of the community then what is the government's role to regulate the family unit how does the government make the family unit grow because if the family unit doesn't grow the country doesn't grow the country falls apart and the country dies if the family unit flourishes, then flourishes the entire community. So uh, the government definitely does have a role in protecting the family. And some would argue, people who believe that the family is at bottom before the individual itself, that actually familial rights are even more important than individual rights. Because if you don't have familial rights, you don't have individual rights. And that actually cuts to the heart of the abortion issue. 
if the mother has the right to kill her son or daughter, mm -hmm. then the son or daughter doesn't have any rights to begin with. So it actually does make sense that this is, again, on our minds and in our hearts. Hmm. Man, that's that's some good stuff. Yeah, a lot of philosophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but it, it kind of comes down to, like, um, you know, what, you're, what I kind of gather that you're saying is that, you know, the Bible is is putting not just an emphasis on the individual, but also on family units. Right. And and there's a, a metaphysical reason for that, and that is because God, uh, the way God's revealed is as a unit. Right. And so God creates these units, and and so there's a vital importance in the unit. And of course, the society, uh, a, a society is only defined as a society mm -hmm. if it if it has these units in it. Right. Um, so a society is absent, uh, cannot be without uh, this kind of this kind of importance of um, family. Right. And so, you know, sex obviously has plays an important role in that because of progeny. Right. And um, and and then you said something about like f like family comes first. Right. Like the idea that it's important that family comes first, because if you don't, then it's easy for someone to just snuff uh, the individual. Right. An individual that can potentially make up that unit. That's right. Right. Well, you know, again, if you think about it, if individual rights come first, human beings are naturally designed by God to be dependent on their parents. So if the parents shirk the responsibilities in the name of individual autonomy, the child suffers. Mm -hmm. And if the child suffers, the way the children go is the way that the whole community goes. So for instance, if what if the government didn't put any, let's forget about abortion for a second, what if the government didn't put any impositions on parents to take care of their children? There were no laws about sexual abuse to their kids. There were no laws about physical abuse to the kids. There were no laws about education of the kids, things like that. How would the children of our society function? How would they flourish if those kind of laws were not in place? And this, again, gets back to the whole heart of the idea that man needs to have government in our lives because we have instincts that go against our own best interests. Right. So James Madison, who was one of our founding fathers, he once famously wrote that if men were angels, no government would be necessary. So in other words, like if, if we just were the best versions of ourselves, then there is no need for laws. We would just do the right thing no matter R what. Right. So so and the point of that is that it is is based on an idea, a theological idea that humans are depraved. That's right. And that there is that you might have heard of original sin. Right. And because of that, we need law because law restrains. Right. Um, and and so we need a restraining act. Now, if you don't believe that um, in the realm of sex, then maybe then maybe we can lose sight of the potential harms that our sexual autonomy could produce um, in a in a nation. Exactly. Exactly. Right? 
Because if we don't, if we go, hey, maybe my sexual, maybe my sexual um, conduct isn't, maybe it, there's something, um, maybe there's a harm to it. Right. Like in the collective. Does it need to be governed? Yeah, does it need to be governed? And that's a, that's one that's really interesting. You know, it, it's, it's an interesting question. And, and I find that a lot of people probably would innately initially say, I don't want it governed. Right. Um, but yet we live in a highly sexual, politicized culture. Right. Uh, we even have a movement in our world that is simply based off of sexual diversity. Hmm. And, you know, how does that play a, a part? Um, what is it, uh, you know, is the government to legislate sexu sex and sexuality and how does it do that? Right. You know, <laughs> like how would yeah. it do it? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're going to give the government kind of a, a, you know, Hey, you, we want you guys to regulate our sex. Right. Right. And so there's a difference between certain functions of the government and uh, you know, there's a great quote came from T.H. White in his book, uh, I just read, The Once and Future King, where he foresaw uh, different animal groups as being like structures of governance. And the one animal group that was more fascistic or dictatorial, they said uh, it was the ants. <laughs> and they said anything not forbidden is compulsory. And what they meant is that in a society where people are not free, the government's role is to dictate not only what you can do, but also what you can't do. And so there's no bounds for freedom. Hmm. In our country, the way that the government exists is what is the smallest amount of restriction that the government can place upon a person to allow for flourishing to take place. In other words, we need to balance freedom so that people make the right decision with the law. Now, I'm going to get to two reasons why this is so important, especially when it comes to the family unit. Number one, if the government dictates sexuality down to a fundamental level, says you, you can you can only have one wife, and let's say the government chose your wife for you. You know, ladies, the government chose your husband. Guys, the government chose your wife. They dictated when you could have a kid. They sent you a message in the, you know, on your email. You're like, start trying to conceive now. Right. You know, she's ovulating. <laughs> she's ovulating. Go do it. You know, and then, you know, while you were in the process of trying to conceive a child, what if the government told you what kind of a child you could have? Only have a male child. Only have a female child. No genetic deformities allowed. Right. You have to get it. You have to get your child tested. And if anything comes up, you have to abort your child. Right. And then as you're raising your child, the government is telling you what your child can and can't do. And then it's also arranging. Right. That level of restriction. Could the government do that? Yes. And we've seen countries actually do something like that before. Uh, when you go into communistic Russia and fascistic uh, fascistic Germany, you did have these kind of governments trying to regulate people at that level. And even today in China, there is a high regulation of sexual behavior within their communities. Mm. So uh, governments can do that, but the problem is, is that if you want to make, and this is the whole point of the Bible as well, if you want to make people, as Titus 2 says, who are zealous for good works, people who want to do the right thing, you cannot regulate them on that level because they're never going to learn what's right versus wrong if you tell them and 
you know, baby step them around and tell them everything they can and can't do. They'll never learn what's right on their own and therefore they'll never become truly virtuous. This is very important when it comes to parents. A parent has to want to be there for their child. And kids can tell, right? Kids can tell when someone wants to be there versus someone who has to be there. Uh, this happens between them and their parents, but it also happens between them and various friends, family members, even when they go to school. Kids can tell very young when they're wanted versus when they're unwanted. And when kids are perpetually unwanted, it has a great psychological effect on them. Now, this, this doesn't mean that people aren't present for them and taking care of their needs, but simply being unwanted can have an effect on a child. Mm. So if the government regulates people at that level and people aren't learning to control their sexual urges on their own and they're not learning how to raise their kids on their own, then unfortunately the family unit also devolves. So there has to be limitations on what the government can and can't do. So uh, another way to put it is there's a distinction between the government outlawing something and the government giving you a particular right or recognizing a particular right. Hmm. So part of what the government does when it comes to marriage is actually doesn't outlaw anything. It just recognizes particular rights. So you're not, it's not illegal for me to cheat on my wife. I could do that. The government doesn't say I can or can't do it. I, there are consequences and penalties, right? She can now have a legal recourse of divorce if adultery in, is there. Uh, she could also do no fault divorce, but if there's infidelity, it makes it run a little bit smoother, right? <laughs> she can prove it. Uh, but at any rate, you know, that's, that's one example where the government doesn't regulate that. The government doesn't regulate whether or not me and my wife start having sex before marriage. However, the government can decide whether or not to give us a benefit if we get pregnant, if we're having premarital sex. So in other words, the government can say, if you have premarital sex and you're not married, we will give you no tax breaks and we will give you no governmental aid if you get pregnant. Or the government can say, if you get pregnant and it's an unfortunate circumstance and you're not married, we will give you more aid, which is what's been happening in the last 40 years. So part of its rights, part of its subsidies, and part of its legality. Those are the ways that the government organizes sexuality. Yeah, do you think the government, um, um, uh, what was I gonna say? Do you think the government is in the marriage business um, simply to, and, and to give tax breaks to those that are married, you know, mm -hmm. um, because of the commitment uh, that marriage is is um, saying, you know, is like, you know, when people get married, mm -hmm. like, you know, it says, hey, we're, you know, we are committed and th that that the government wants that or, 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 you know, that's important to the government because it gives them, um, you know, potential, again, progeny. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's important because it seems like to to the political world, to governments, um, it it would be utterly vital that your population continues. Right. And if you didn't, then you would have to do something like maybe let people into your country uh, by the millions. Right. To try to 
keep some kind of population flow right. and and try to get people into your country that potentially can have progeny. Right. And there's also a bound when it comes to values. So governments and cultures recognize this. You know, right now, we're kind of in this weird, weird state, which I think, unfortunately, Bo, started with your generation, where <laughs> your generation started to believe that American culture kind of sucked. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, yeah, like, why are we trying to preserve the American way? Why are we trying to preserve American culture? So the idea of keeping it in-house wasn't really a big priority. So in other words, if I believe that my particular culture is good, I like it, I think it's, I think it's valuable to maintain, then I'm going to be much more uh, insistent that the culture remains in-house. So I'm going to really encourage people to have kids within the country because I believe that those parents are going to raise their kids with our particular cultural values. If I don't like our culture very much, then I actually would want immigration more than I, I would want natural birth because I would want a different cultural values to come into the country and raise their kids in their cultural values and not necessarily the American. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I also see another thing, too, is that politics and sex, and that's our discussion here on, on the Better Pleasure podcast, is that having immigration is important also in a culture that's politicized where where sex is now a big part of politics mm -hmm. so when you have um a movement like we do in the world and in the united states that is a equitable equality movement um across sexual um um behaviors let me say it that way so you're wanting to get equality political equality right you're wanting the government to say this is the same as that mm. you know so this sexual behavior is now the same or equal to or we're going to treat you as equal as this sexual partnership right right well the government runs into a problem politically in that the government needs progeny right it needs a society to grow yeah. And when you have a society, uh, from what I see in the um, censuses and all that, whether it's in Europe or in the United States, you see a decline in uh, birth rates, then it, it, it doesn't seem like rocket science that you, if, you, if you're saying as a political um, body in the nation, that, hey, okay, we are going to try this equality of sexual behavior uh, and look at things as equality. So we're going to treat you the same as this, even though they're not the same, right? They're different. There's different, but we're going we're gonna to actually treat people the same way. Then you run into the problem because they're not really the same. Right. And you can't, and, 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 you know, this equation over here is different from this equation. Right. And this one produces a different number than that one over here. Exactly. And th this gets <laughs> back to what I was saying earlier. But my point, my point is, yeah. is that you, you need, you, you, you need a population to come into a country. If that's the case, and that's right. what you're going to do politically, you, then it seems like you need people to come into the country. Right. Right. 
that are that are going to be have a progeny. Right. Right. Because you you're you're polit you're politically allowing this equality right to happen, and and it creates a, and if you continue that kind of policy politically right. It, it, over a hundred years, you're going to drain. Um, you know, you do not have progeny. Right. I mean, the the only thing that I could think could could re- ch- could change that is if you go Brave New World route. Right. Right. And you force the government to literally create st- get yeah. get hooked up with big pharma. Does yeah. that sound familiar? Yeah. And and they work together to create humans. Right. And, you know, so if I if my goal was I just want more people within our culture, within our civilization, and I don't really care where they're coming in from, it would be within the government's purview to be able to increase the amount of legal citizenship. So uh, citizenship, the reason why it's important is because when you go through the citizenship process, you are learning and abiding by the cultural values and worldview of the United States. And if you go and you try to gain citizenship anywhere in the world, they're going to do this. They're going to make sure you uphold the cultural views. You learn the history of the country. You learn the language of the country. You learn the different customs, traditions of the country. And so that when you come into the country, you are abiding by not just the law, but the cultural worldview. You mean I can't just go? I just can't go to Japan and like live there? Yeah, <laughs> just live like a white guy. Yeah, no, you can't. And you know, same same thing with us. You know, it, we can't just allow someone from Saudi Arabia to come here and have multiple wives and to be allowed to you know use physical violence against their spouses as well as their kids. Right? That goes against our cultural values. So we would try to help people understand. These are our cultural values. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to uphold them. We even expect we, you to uphold them. Even though we them. haven't done such a good job with that now one. Now, we haven't done a good job with that. <laughs> and the reason why is because we don't really value our culture, mm. right? So if the, if the perspective was we just want more people in the country, people aren't really having many kids, well, let's get a lot of immigrants in the country. But the goal is still we want to preserve the political structure. We like the culture. Then we would be forcing people to go through mass citizenship. But we're not doing that. Because, again, we don't actually want the culture preserved. So there's this idea that's running through our civilization right now that actually white European culture is the root of all evil. And it's best if it just gets destroyed. So the perspective of the government moving people to have natural kids and to raise them in a way that believes that our culture is good and to make people coming into the country go through the citizenship process and learn our worldview, that really isn't high up on the priority list for a lot of people in government because they don't really like the culture, right? They don't really like the way the culture is going. And it also gets to something, uh, what you were talking about gets to something I was saying earlier of do we see the fundamental part of the, uh, the polis, the community, the individual or the family? And it seems like we see it more and more as being the individual because what, what role does the government have in giving benefits to people who have, say, a homosexual relationship? Now, you could say that there's a benefit in encouraging them as individuals to follow whatever they think is right and to enjoy themselves, but you can't say that it benefits the family because these two people don't have the capacity to create a family. They adopt, right? That's something that any heterosexual couple could do, but they lack the capacity to create offspring in their own image, to actually 
have children together. They could use surrogacy and things like that, but any individual could do that. You don't need to be married in order to do that. The perspective of the government is that the marriage unit has the capacity to produce life and that men and women complement each other in such a way that not only can they produce life, but they can most beneficially raise that offspring to be functional within the society and the community. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying the um, uh, another another thing, sex and, and politics is the cost of sex mm. in a society, right? So if 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 parents can't take care of a child, then there's a a relative cost <coughs> that gets accrued, right? To by the uh, to the government. Right. Means someone's got to take care of of the progeny. Right. Um, and if the father is gone. Right. And there is no father. And the mother's struggling with stuff, trying to make ends meet. Then you have a societal cost in how that child is being raised. Right. And the difficulties, meaning you have to now legislate. um uh, civil law in cities and and you have police force and and that cost money and, and people have to um, you know the more pe more kids are out there just on the streets yeah. the more that the cost go up and this is what you're saying right now is an excellent point and it actually reminds me of a movie i don't know if you saw it the incredibles 2 did you see the incredibles um, i don't think so uh <laughs> really it, i mean if you don't like superhero movies you actually might like this one maybe i would because it has a very good message to it mm -hmm. so the main villain hates superheroes and the reason why she hates superheroes is because she believes that when there's this cast of people that can take care of everyone's problems people don't actually become virtuous and take care of their own problems so in other words, if we're looking and people have made the comments that if we look at our culture and we say, what are superheroes a metaphor for? Well, there would be these ultra powered individuals that have these large sways within a society, namely government officials and corporate heads. So if people are looking to superheroes, if you want to put it that way, to solve all their problems, they won't learn at a communal level to solve local problems for themselves. They can't do that. So great example when you see a huge difference of this in the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul wrestles with the idea of poverty within the church community. And he asks the question of who should solve the problem of somebody being impoverished within a church community? And the American answer, because we've become so reliant upon these large structural institutions, is, well, the institutions should take care of these people. So they'd be like, Paul, you pay for these people. Paul responds and says, no, it is not for the church to take care of them. It is for the family. He says, if you do not take care of your own, including the members of your family, you are worse than a non-believer. You've denied the faith. You're the worst than a non-believer. So Paul thought it's not important that this person's needs get met as it is important how the needs are being met. And are the people in the community seeing each other as members of a family and are they meeting each other's needs? So in other words, the reason why you're seeing this huge reliance upon the government to, as you put it, Bo, take care of these kids that are impoverished and running around and not having much direction 
is because our culture has moved in that direction. It's up to the government and these large institutions and corporations to solve all our problems as opposed to the family and the local community being responsible for those people. Mm. So, I mean, imagine for a second, like yesterday, uh, well, not yesterday, it was earlier on this week, uh, me and my daughter were going to the store, she's two, and a dog runs up to us and the dog is bleeding in his face. And clearly it's a, it's a dog that belongs to one of my neighbors, but I don't know which one it is. Now, if I look at that and I'm like, ah, it's someone else's problem and I call the pound, I could do that, right? Or I could just leave <laughs> to say like, whatever. What that's suggesting is suggesting I don't consider myself a member of the community. I don't think that my neighbor's problems are my problems. I think they're someone else's problems and I'm gonna wait for someone else to fix it. If I behave in that way, that demonstrates the way I think. I mean, imagine for a second, if you were driving down the street and you saw a homeless child and your thought was, and it was in your neighborhood, would your response be, I need to call someone to pick up this kid or what are the resources in my own community that can help this child? Mm -hmm. Do I know this kid's parents? Do I know family that's around them? And I'm gonna try to hook them up. But the fact that we rely so heavily on these governmental structures shows how our mentality has shifted in our country, that we really do think it's up to the government to fix these problems, as opposed to these units, these local units of community to fix the problems. Mm. What I noticed, too, is like in the in, I was just looking up kind of the diversity, the sexual diversity um, uh, that's in the country. And I noticed that, you know, pretty much monogamy is really dominant, like 90. It's like 93 percent. You know, and there's a like a seven percent that is some other other other, yeah. you know, and um, and, and and yet it seems like, it, you know, politically speaking, that um, there's a lot of sway with that seven percent or we talk a lot about that seven percent or it 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 becomes more. It seems like it's more at the forefront. Yeah. You know, um which which is and, and and the reason why I think this has to do with sex and politics too is because if the government is there to regulate say things like even education and the government does have an education department and if the government is looked to as the source of educating people right then uh it, you know obviously this kind of uh this 7% certainly will grow um, at some, you know, as a, and, at, and we've done podcasts on the younger generation and that, and their percentages of kind of how they identify mm -hmm. themselves in their sex, uh, behavior. Um, and, and, and so it seems like you, you know, the government, you know, it, it, it kind of, it says, okay, you know, we have a, we have, the government does have um, we're going to try to educate people in public schools on um, on this set on sex, and so sex education becomes big. Um, and you know what is why is the government involved in that? Like, right. it, it, like sometimes it's confusing to me of like what is the payoff. Um, for the government there's got you know and, and it's got to be something financially it seems like right so there's there's a couple interesting wa reasons as to why it's going this direction so the more altruistic 
version of this is that they really believe what they're saying. So meaning the people that are coming up with these curriculums and things like that, they really believe that this is the best way to live. And they believe it so strongly that they would try to usurp the role of the parent in telling kids this particular worldview. So in other words, I care so much about this and I believe it so much to be true that I don't want parents to educate their kids when it comes to sexual virtue. I want to be able to educate them in, in the way that I think is correct. And I look at parents as the obstacle and not as the main source of this type of education. And to be honest, this has happened throughout our country. It's becoming so ubiquitous. Uh, it's becoming so widespread that people don't even notice it. The role of the family is to educate the children. If you look in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father to his son. And except for the last chapter, which is from a mom to a son. But either way, what you see is that the family is supposed to educate the children. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't experts, right? Throughout ancient cultures, you would send your kid to be apprenticed at a certain point and educated in more uh, profound ways. But it means that the base education of the children was responsible by the parents. This is why, by the way, people have argued, even in the church, is youth group or even children's ministry biblical? Is that right? And some people have argued no. And the reason why they say no is because they say it's the parents' role to educate their children about God and about scripture. And the church's role is to educate the parents. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, uh, the kind of a middle ground you could take is you could say, well, where are the kids going to go <laughs> while the parents are learning about God? Because they're not going to be able to sit in, you know, the big service and actually uh, be able to respond to the teaching at the pulpit because it's obviously geared towards adults, not kids. So some people have looked at, um, looked at, the child care of the children's ministry as being not educational primarily, but as care. We're just caring for your children and we're helping them understand some basic biblical truths, but we're expecting that you're doing this at home. The main reason why you go to church is not so that your kids can learn about the Bible. It's so that you can learn about the Bible and teach your kids about it later, right? That's the main purpose of church. Now, obviously the, the children's ministry should be grown it should be developed but again is the role for the parents or is it for the institutions and school goes into that same kind of dynamic why is it that so many parents are allowing their role as educator to be given to the state and given to these other institutions is because they're not following through on their role as parents yeah it seems like there's got to be a financial benefit to the government to be in this well the, the big benefit you know and like i said the, the altruistic way is because they really believe it they really believe it and they care so much about it that they want to uniform the idea of education they, yeah because the i because mean, the cost of yeah the cost of identity education has to be tremendous right like you look at the colleges you look at the the schools nowadays and you look at like oh god there's so many schools that now hire um, all kinds of uh, people. They employ people in these in this department, right? And so it seems like the amount of money, you know, that colleges kick out or is is got to be just 
<laughs> a lot of dough. Well, it goes on a couple levels. So this is the more cynical view. So the altruistic view is they really believe what they're saying, and they believe it so strongly that they're willing to uh, essentially indoctrinate kids in it without the consent of their parents. Um, the more cynical view is that if you want institutions to grow, you have to create a need. And in order to create a need, you have to create a resource that people become dependent on. So in other words, if I'm encouraging parents to be educating their kids and taking care of them and things like that, then the role of the government in raising the kids is it's relatively not, small. Yeah, they're it not dependent be, on it. Yeah, it might even be nil. Uh, because back in the day, when we talk about public education, public education was just locally you're in the town and there might be somebody who's a teacher. <laughs> They'll just like, you'll go to them and you'll learn from that person. But the government has no hand in it. The parents were directly paying this person to educate their kids. Because of that, the parents had a more, when you're paying for something directly, you want to know about the product. When you're not paying for something directly, you don't care as much, right? You just care that it's available for you. So parents, because the government is providing this kind of resource for them and they've become dependent on it because there's not as many resources outside of what the government's providing now that they're dependent upon it they must vote in and elect officials that are supporting these particular institutions and growing them right so there there is uh like like you said Bo, an ulterior motive which is the more dependence people have upon them the more money needs to be funneled into these institutions to make them grow and to hire people with large paychecks in order to perpetuate this cycle. Mm. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, it does provide an awful lot of money into the system. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, there's so many there's so many things to talk about with sex and politics. It's funny, like when you start breaking it down a little bit, you kind of go, wow, th this is really interesting. Because I, I tend to think of a world where it would be nice if the government just didn't have anything to do with it. But like you say, it can't really function that way. Right. Um, like say, for instance, um, a, a group of people, male and female, ended up on an island. And okay, and now you're trying to survive. Now you can make a decision to just as a collective and just say, hey, you know what? We're gonna live our life on this island in celibacy. And we're just gonna do that and we're just gonna die out. <laughs> and that's what we're gonna do, Yeah. right? Um, but there's something in the human spirit <laughs> that doesn't like that too right. often, right. right? Biologically, that goes against everything in our makeup since one of our makeups predominantly is to reproduce. Right. And so uh, everything in us kind of goes against that. That would be really odd, right, for people to be on an island and they have no government really telling them what to do about their sexuality. But... Um, you know, we can't, we might have people on that island that have a variety of different sexual behaviors and worldviews or what right. they believe about it. Right. But they don't have an over-governing thing, uh, a government that is involved in it per se anymore. It's just them on the island. Right. If you, if you ever want to know what this would look like, read the book of Judges. Right. <laughs> so what, what happens when you have perfect revelation about human sexuality and governance given to a group of people but you have no governing authority that enforces these regulations 
that's what the book of judges is and you see some pretty crazy stuff happen in that mm. book yeah uh the 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 sexual appetites of man are so strong that if they remain totally ungoverned we can go in some pretty horrific ways for mm-hmm. sure yeah because I, I just wonder like you know would we as human beings go because we don't have a government to appeal to mm. you know on an island you don't have a like today people have a government to appeal to they go hey they go to the government like we need rights right. but you know on that island you know can you really argue that way like you know um you know how how would that work you know it's like what would it look like um would people just that are the strongest and the most dominant went out ultimately yeah. on that island um you know um would people really want to just die out as human beings or would they want to reproduce and start what we call families right and 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 then and then and then if they did choose to do families then there would be a now you're making a society right because a population now creates this what we call a society uh, uh, you know and then you would have to have an authoritative body right. to govern in order to maintain the society. Right. Right? So it would naturally, you would have to have some authority um, because people would always want to get outside of what, what is productive to the society. Right. And the society is created through progeny. Right. And so if the society is created through progeny and people are trying to buck the system, Hmm. then you would have to have a governing authority that says, no, you can't buck the system. Right. And it seems like in our system, we have a a, a government that says, no, let's not buck the, like, like, I mean, we're going to buck the system. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, even though the society's, it's it's contingent on progeny right uh we're we're trying to educate young people in a way to where they don't see the importance of what made the society to begin with right and even right the beginning you know we can think about it on so many different layers but think about it even on the highest layer why did people traditionally want to have kids well it was because those kids were not only going to help you grow whatever business you had, but when you got too old and infirm to take care of yourself, those kids were your retirement plan. If you didn't have kids, you would die, right? <laughs> no one else is going to help you, you You'd man. fall in the field. That's right. You'd, <laughs> you'd just tear die. your ACL and you'd just be like, oh, man, no one to cry out to. That's right. That's why in First Timothy 5, Paul does make an allowance for widows who are quote unquote widows indeed yeah nobody that's right they had literally nobody and he said okay the church can take care of these people but uh that was an allowance that was something that ancient societies didn't really have it was just if you didn't have kids and you didn't treat your kids well they didn't want to help you out then you would just die alone (laughs) that was it so now that the government has taken the role through social security and things like that where the kids and nursing homes and retirement homes now the kids don't have to take care of their parents and therefore that role falls on the government the society as opposed to the children 
So there was supposed to be this understanding of I need to have kids so that these kids could take care of me one day when I'm old. But now people don't need to do it, right? They don't need to t have kids and people don't need to take care of the relationship with their kids. There's so many elderly people that I know that like have burned all the bridges with their children and they just don't care because they're reliant upon the institutions around them. They make no, they make no uh, strides to be able to move forward and to reconcile with their children because they're dependent upon the institution surrounding them. Mm, that's good stuff. Hey, this is going to seem odd to you all, but we have a, a question we need to answer um, that has nothing to do with this podcast at all. It is, what is the Mac password? Oh, and so should I give that on the air? <laughs> <laughs> should everybody listening to it know? Someone, Here. one of our staffers uh, is like, man, what is the Mac password over here? <laughs> well, we'll tell you what that password is so everybody knows. No I'll just text just, yeah, <laughs> That's wise, 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 wise. But uh, anyway, yeah, um, so good. So the breaking news, the abortion issues, big um, a lot of big, uh, you know, obviously we have um, uh, a government that is more and more talking about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you have full-blown departments like this now and corporations, companies, a um, lot of money um, being poured into this on every level. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's so so gross to me so uh, i'm going to be talking about this a lot on sunday so if if mother's you guys day. are listening to i got three special mother's day messages Whoa. that i'm going to be sharing uh just stuff that's been on my heart for a long time but it really is this is the erasure of women mm. this is the complete erasure of women to communicate this way so in other words the idea is we want so desperately this is what simone de Beauvoir said who was one of the first wave feminists uh, one of the most earliest feminists we have and what Naomi Wolf said, who is a third wave feminist. So that's like kind of the beginning. And I <laughs> the remember bookends of I, feminism. I, I quote Naomi Wolf in some of my PowerPoints. Yeah. 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 Very, very intelligent lady. But they both had the same idea. What is preventing women from being equal with men in their perspective is reproduction. The fact that women's bodies are geared towards being able to have children. They don't see that as a benefit for womanhood. They see that as a detraction from womanhood because they've identified true equality as being able to do exactly what men now, do. Now, is this, is what, is this what Naomi Wolf believed or is yes. it what she just, okay, so. Yeah, yeah. she wrote about it extensively. So she, Yeah, she, she wrote she, the beauty myth. I remember, right. I remember some of the things she did. Right, she got into some hot water when she wrote it. It's called Our Souls, Our Choice mm. for anyone who wants to read it. It's a pretty lengthy article. Very good, though, very well written. Uh, but she makes a very strong argument for the fact that the unborn child is a human being, but that that human being needs to be, uh, the mother has to have the right to kill that human being so that she can compete with the males on the corporate field. That was the idea. That was her perspective. Mm. So uh, very tragic, very dark, but that's the idea is that a woman's value is not, uh, and by the way, for we need to be careful in how we word this, it's not that we're saying a woman's value is solely regarding her capacity to procreate or to reproduce but with her body. 
But what we're saying is, is that if God has given someone a unique capacity that nobody else can do, then no matter what she does in her life, that will be the most important thing, her capacity to bear and rear her children. Yeah, one of the one of the arguments Paul makes in Corinthians uh, to men so that they don't get cocky right. and think that they're all that in the society is he actually talks about women being able to bear children and he basically says, hey, listen, without them, there's no you. That's right. So that's how important they are. Men don't exist without women. Right. So, you <laughs> so yeah. um, you know, he basically is trying to put men in their place at that point, you know, um, in in uh, First Corinthians uh, 11, maybe it is. Or yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. But, yeah, that's the crazy thing is that it is the erasure of women. So because we've removed the main aspect of sex, which is the potential for procreation, we've totally taken that out of the ballpark and that's what the government has pushed women have been pushed to the outskirts of society right to the point where they will not really be functioning within society correctly um, so in other words if you put women and men and you say in order to be a successful woman you must succeed in the avenues of male domination that's what you have to go and if you go to the areas where females dominate you're selling out if you put it that way you've set up a society you've set up a system where women will always be second-rate men you, they're never going to be able to achieve the same rates as men why because they have these differentials in their biology and by biology i'm not talking about their intelligence levels i'm talking about their capacity to bear life god has provided them with that capacity and therefore there are natural things that women in greater numbers gravitate towards more than men and that would be more nurturing sciences like nursing yeah. and teaching things like that but if you if you say like no you have to go into these male dominated areas it won't work and there will always be a society of differentials between men and women where women feel like perpetual failures and men are dominating women uh, Jordan Peterson also talks a lot about this where if you have a game so just going back to the schoolyard to see how we function because not much changes from the schoolyard. We just get a little older and a little bit more articulate, mm -hmm. but we're basically the same people we were. We were five. Mm -hmm. And he's like going back to the schoolyard. If you have a game that's dominated by men and a woman goes into that game, uh, a, a little girl goes into that game and beats all the men, then she is awesome. She's amazing. Everyone's like, that's really cool. And she's elevated and the men are a little bit emasculated, but they can deal with it. If you have a game where all the girls are playing and a boy comes into that game and plays, if he wins, he's considered a weak male. And if he loses, he's considered an even weaker male. Right? <laughs> so you can't win. In other words, as a man, if you go into a, to a female-dominated area, you can't win. Because if you win, you lose because now you're beating up on girls. And if you lose, you really lose because now you lost to girls. Yeah. So Jordan Peterson is saying it actually makes more sense for men and women to allow these. If you want women to succeed in the corporate world, you have to keep them the way they are. And therefore, when women rise up in them, they are actually lorded and glorified more. And men are able to be, take their proper place. If you say, no, these are women-dominated areas, then if a man competes with a woman, the person doing the hiring and the firing is going to absolutely 
side with the women more than the men. And even if the man succeeds, he's not going to feel accomplished because he feels like he's taking away something from women. Mm, so yeah. it, it just destroys people's roles. It's an amazing, amazing. We've done podcast on kind of this male complex and it is just dominant, isn't it? There's just a dominant male complex, right? Uh, you know, that even when women seem to be winning, <laughs> they're really wanting to be just like men. Right. And, and that's what's really the driving force is we want to be men. We want to be just like the man. Right. Um, you know, very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I find that very fascinating. And maybe there's a political angle to that as well, um, as far as money and revenue. Um, so um, anyway, interesting stuff, interesting podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You guys have a great day, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.